Great to be back. Andrew Dowdy back on the High Motor Podcast after a week break, 10-day break. Thanks for dropping by. Maybe uh, during your holiday travel, some college football talk to get you through uh, the middle of wherever you're driving, wherever you may be going. I'm going to have Stephen Lassen back on the show here, writer and editor at Athlon Sports. He's been on a couple of times. Always love having him drop by, make some predictions. We're going to talk about some program direction stuff, some playoff quarterback rankings, a lot of good stuff I want to get to with him. And then my guy Chase Kitty coming for the second half of the show. He was in Harrisonburg over the weekend covering the FCS semifinals, Weber State, JMU. So he'll hop on uh, after Steve. We're going to play some you're wrong. He'll give you some bowl games he likes. A lot of good stuff. Andrew Doughty, Stephen Lassen, Chase Kitty. This is the High Motor Podcast. Stephen Lassen, Athlon Sports, back on the High Motor Podcast. And, and Stephen, the last time you were on, actually, no, I think the last time you were on um, was like around week four or five. We talked about Jim Harbaugh. I think Justin Wilcox, that Ole Miss-Cal game. But um, but anyways, b- before that, I was thinking back to when you were on for the preseason predictions episode back, like I think it was mid-August or so. And before when we were setting up this call, we were talking about how, how wild things can change over those four months, and we should go back and listen to that preseason episode and make fun of ourselves for all those predictions. But kind of going along that line, looking back four months ago, I'm really curious your answer to this. What program... Do you feel a lot better about now than you did in August? And when I say program, I'm talking about like the direction of the program uh, long term. What do you feel a lot better about now? Andrew, I-, I thought we had agreed to bury that preseason episode deep into the Internet archives. The one somewhere. where you kept asking me about Nebraska and where I was like, I don't know about Nebraska, but you kept pushing Nebraska. So we can talk about Nebraska if you want to. Yeah, yeah. Um... Not one of my better preseason predictions this season. Um, I, I still feel pretty good about where Nebraska is going. I, I think Scott Frost, um, certainly his track record at UCF and the recruiting class they brought in this year, I think just kind of solidifies that long term, this program is going to be fine. It, maybe it was just too much too soon with the offensive line issues that they had, some supporting cast concerns as well. So I'm not down on Nebraska. Um, I think they'll be, they'll be all right next season, maybe not top 25 preseason, but I think to, to answer your question, as far as which teams I feel better about, uh, one that comes to mind right away is North Carolina. Uh, I was skeptical of the Mac Brown hire and getting to six and six this season. And with Sam Howe uh, being so good as a freshman and now having a full offseason to develop, I think North Carolina should be pretty optimistic about 2019 or 2020 and uh, 2021. You know, a few other teams that, that come to mind here. Um, Louisville was much better than I thought this season. I, I love the Scott Satterfield hire, but they were a lot better than I anticipated. And I think that's a good sign going forward, especially for the ACC, because I like the Mike Norvell higher at Florida State. The ACC needs some other teams other than Clemson uh, to be ranked. So I think Louisville, I think North Carolina, I like what Arizona State is doing um, under Herm Edwards. Another coach I was admittedly very skeptical of, but Jaden Daniels coming back next season um, as a sophomore is, is pretty promising. Also throw out Tennessee. I think Jeremy Pruitt did a nice job this year. Slow start, but rallying to finish seven and five. Uh, a pretty nice second year for Jeremy Pruitt. You know, when I when I started making notes for this, I I don't know why, but North Carolina didn't pop into my head, and it, and it I think it should have been. I think you nailed it, especially with yeah, year one was great, but I mean, you mentioned Sam Howell landing him last year, and then they go out and, and they do extremely well in state recruiting. They make. The, the great hire of Tim Brewster, not a great head coach, but he's proved to be a great recruiter for so long. They get all those four-star guys. I think their classes, I had to pull up here um, earlier today, yeah, top 20 class right now, what, six, seven four-star players. But yeah, when I made notes, yeah, Arizona State, they're at the top of my list. Um, kind of the same thing about what you said with Mac Brown. I was in that group that I think 99% of people were, were, I thought Arizona State was a great job. I didn't mind Todd Graham at all, but I, I was also fine with them making a change. And I think Arizona State is a, a really good job out there. 
and giving that job to Herm Edwards, I was in the group that was beyond skeptical. I think that I was um, pretty angry about that hire if I would have been at Arizona State. But same deal. I mean, top 30 recruiting class this year. Um, try, well, excuse me, uh, excuse me, top 30 last year, trying to get into the top 30 this year, landing some big-time players. And I know that kind of looking at like a 7-5 and five record in the Pac-12 isn't all that great, even with some of that underrated depth out there. But, yeah, really impressed with what Herm Edwards is doing. I just... Again, I laughed at the hire. I love that he made some coaching moves, uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks. I don't really know how high Arizona State is going to climb here. Uh, maybe I was just too low on them in August, but I love the direction of that program. One note before we, I want to flip the question on you. One note: I was surprised you didn't say LSU. Were you that high on Ed Orgeron and LSU in August? I think I think that's fair. I think I would uh, maybe that was a, an error on my part to not have LSU in, in that conversation. I, I think I've always just viewed LSU as they always have good talent. They recruit at such a high level that every year their roster is one of the best three, four, five in the country. So talent hasn't been an issue. The question is whether or not they could ever catch Alabama by putting an offense on the field that allowed them to utilize some of that talent better? And the answer is yes. Uh, Joe Brady's ar- uh, arrival, um, uh, we expected LSU's offense to be better. I, I don't think anyone in their uh, right mind probably would have anticipated LSU uh, being maybe the best offense in college football this season. So, yeah, I, I would put LSU in that category. I think the question is going to be who replaces Joe Burrow next season and, of course, getting past Alabama without Joe Burrow next season will be a huge task. So let's flip that question. Which program, looking back four months ago, do you feel worse about right now than you did in August? I don't know if I necessarily feel worse about them, but I almost put them in a unknown category, and that's Texas. Um, certainly, it was going to be a rebuilding year in some respects because of all the new faces that Texas had on defense, but defensively this group struggled and they had some injuries that played into that as well. But you also see new coordinators on both sides of the ball, some shuffling on the coaching staff. Um, Can Tom Herman get this team back to a 10 win type of season next year? I think figuring out where Texas is, is going to be one of the biggest challenges in next year's kind of preseason rankings. So I don't I don't really know how to feel about Texas, but I think some teams that I feel worse about Michigan State, I, I thought they would be a little bit better this season. But man, that offense again was just so sluggish and they've wasted dominant defenses uh, by kind of having such mediocre offense the last couple of years. I think Miami's another team. Um, Manny Diaz finishing, you know, the, the iffy first season losing to FIU, losing to Duke. They ended the regular season on a down note. So I think Texas and Miami are kind of in the unknown. And I think I put Michigan State and probably Stanford in those teams that I probably feel worse about uh, now that we finished the 2019 regular season. This is a question that I've, I've kind of kicked around a little bit. And then one of my uh, occasional co-hosts, Chase Kitty and I, we've talked about it quite a bit this season, especially near the end of the season when all those Michigan State blowouts uh, were racking up and they have been racking up over the last, yeah, they had the 10 win 2017, but going back three wins in 2016, tons of blowouts, blowouts that year, blowouts last year with the seven win team, blowouts this year again. And, I go back and forth on this question, and maybe it's a question what type of program is Michigan State, but I think that Mark D'Antonio should be on the hot seat. I'm not expecting him to get fired. I wasn't expecting him to get fired, obviously. I assume he's coming back this year unless something else happens here late, but do you think that Mark D'Antonio should actually be on the hot seat, and what type of, of job is that where they could actually get somebody better? It's a great question. I think Luke Fickle would be a great fit at Michigan State. Now, certainly... He's an Ohio State guy, and so it would probably take something pretty special for him to go to to Michigan State. But I think Mark D'Antonio has built up such a um, impressive resume at Michigan State, and how consistent they've been winning. I think it's. I don't know that I'd put him on the hot seat in the sense that he could be fired. I think it's more likely that he could get nudged out the door 
to retirement. So, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that he's on he's under pressure. He's probably on the hot seat in the sense that Michigan State needs to show some improvement next year. But I think the odds of him being fired are pretty low. I think it's more likely that he just walks away and retires. Hey, one last thing before we move on. I want to talk to you about um, some quarterback playoff rankings here. When you said Texas more in that unknown category, when you said that it kind of led me to Washington, and I think that we are all underwhelmed by Washington this year. We've kind of been underwhelmed by Washington uh, since they went to the playoff, and now they have the, the, the shocking coaching change. To me, that Washington's kind of in that unknown category. Where are you with them right now? I really like Jimmy Lake. I think everything that we've heard about him and what he's been able to do as a coordinator suggests that the transition should be pretty seamless. Um, but there's always that unknown. And we've seen teams have a pretty seamless transition before from coordinators, and you've seen some that haven't worked out. So I, I think. I think just looking ahead to next season, the biggest question is going to be what does Washington do with its offense? It was up and down, inconsistent this year. It, does he make some staff changes in the offseason to get this group better in 2020? And, and I think the Pac-12 as a whole is fascinating because you have USC with Clay Helton coming back. You have Utah, which is losing – quite a bit of talent from this year's team. Oregon is losing Justin Herbert. So losing Chris Peterson is a big deal, but with the the young talent that Washington has, and depending on who leaves for the NFL draft, Washington is going to be right there in the conversation uh, to be one of the front runners to win the Pac-12. So Stephen, the main reason that I asked you on, because I wanted your your take on a topic that that I – was kind of throwing around during the Heisman ceremony. I was wondering where does Joe Burrow kind of fit in that, that all time quarterback conversation and where does that season fit in the all time quarterback conversation? And then specifically regarding this, where does he sit now six years into the playoff? Where does he sit among the top playoff quarterbacks? And, and so I, what I asked you and you kindly did for me is ranking the, the top, well, there are 24 uh, quarterbacks. There are repeats in there, but I was, I wanted to rank the quarterbacks before the playoff because we have four really good quarterbacks right now entering this playoff. So I wanted to kind of dial it back and say, let's not include the playoff. So, you know, what what Tua has done in the playoff, what Trevor Lawrence did last year, let's try to put ourselves behind, or I guess in front of that, however you want to say it. And where does Joe Burrow rank entering the playoff right now? And uh, I had a ton of notes. I ended up just publishing it on HeroSports.com if, if anybody wants to search for it. Uh, it's called College Football Playoff Ranking Every Starting Quarterback in Playoff History. And I had a hard time doing this, Stephen. And I think before we hopped on here, you mentioned that it was it was challenging. And we're not going to run through every single thing. You can find mine on HeroSports.com. I'll grab Stephen's uh, list and publish it with the podcast description here. But a few things here. I had a really hard time with Cardale Jones. I ended up putting him number 23. The only quarterback that I had worse than him was Ian Book. And, and to be clear, before people start yelling at us for here, these are 24 really, really good quarterbacks. And again, there are repeats. Like Jalen Hurts down here three times. Trevor Lawrence down here a couple of times. But these are 24 really good quarterbacks entering that season. So we're talking about 24 different levels of basically eliteness. So Ian Book is the only one that I have below Cardale Jones, and I mentioned in my article that I don't at all see Cardale Jones as the 23rd most talented quarterback that has gone into the playoff. I don't know where I'd actually put him in terms of pure talent, but we have to remember this is Cardale Jones before that playoff run, even though he I mean, he played fine in the playoff. He didn't play amazing, but he didn't play poorly. He played a lot better than most people expected, but this is pre-playoff Cardale Jones. Yes, he had the Wisconsin game, but I still put him at 23. How did you evaluate him going back to to before he actually let Ohio State in uh, on that playoff run? This was tough because I, I agree with everything you just said there. I, I actually had him at 24. And again, I think as you said so well, it's not it, just having him 24th isn't saying like he's the worst quarterback in, in power five. It, it was just such a small sample size. And I think you could argue maybe his most important performance was that Wisconsin game because by Ohio State winning that game and winning it with such authority, that helped them 
make the case to be in the playoff. And you know, a, as you mentioned, he was he was fine in the playoff, didn't put up huge numbers, um, but was certainly a key piece of that team. I, I'll argue for Ian Book at 23. I had him one spot higher. I think he was important to that Notre Dame team because they made that switch from Brandon Wimbush to Ian Book. And when they did that, the passing game got better. And I think that switch helped Notre Dame get to the playoff. Without it, do they make the playoff? I think that's a that's kind of a that'll be an interesting debate. But I I had Ian Book at 23, Cardell Jones at 24. I think two very good quarterbacks, and as you mentioned, a lot of good quarterbacks made the the college football playoff. Now I'm really itching to get your Deshaun Watson take, but I'm going to hold back here for a second before we kind of get into to the top 10 ish ballpark here. Another one that I struggled with a lot was Kelly Bryant, and I feel like he's kind of in that same mold where I have Kelly Bryant at 22. And again, I don't think he's the the 22nd most talented quarterback that's ever played in the playoff. But and I wrote in here that, that two years after that 2017 season, I'm still wondering how good was Kelly Bryant. And I still don't know. I mean, the numbers are pedestrian. He had a lot of big plays, but he had a lot of boneheaded plays. I have him at 22. Do you have him outside the top 20 like I do? I have him at 22 as well. Um, I think a couple thoughts on Kelly Bryant he had big shoes to fill in replacing Deshaun Watson. So he was kind of the guy that followed the the guy who set the table um, for Clemson to, of course, to win the national championship. And I thought he did well, all things considered. Of course, he got hurt in Clemson's loss to Syracuse that year as well. So I think he was a different type of quarterback. He was not as you know, pushing the ball downfield. And you saw that come back to bite Clemson in that game against Alabama. Alabama kind of set right around the line of scrimmage. They didn't give up those plays that had worked so well for Kelly Bryant in the regular season. So he was a little bit limited compared to Deshaun Watson. But I also think certainly a lot of pressure and he had a pretty good season, all things considered uh, for someone following Deshaun Watson. You just touched on that, that Washington offense. You're really curious what Jimmy Lake does there. Uh, Long-term we'll see what Jacob Eason makes for a decision, but going back a few years ago now, I think it's really easy to forget how good Jake Browning was. And I get that if you don't perform in the playoff against an elite team, you will be judged appropriately, and I think that's fair in, in some regards. But Jake Browning was a phenomenal quarterback in 2016. And as I mentioned here and a couple other players, like Connor Cook, after having the great debut season, his career arc didn't skyrocket like a lot of us thought it might have. He was a very good quarterback when he led Michigan State to the playoff, but I don't think that um, his career arc went as high as we thought it was going to. Same with Jake Browning, I think because of that Alabama game, because of how he finished his career with two good, not very, very good or great seasons, we can easily forget how good Jake Browning was in 2016. He's a guy that when I was doing these rankings, I moved him up and down. At some point, he was in the top 10. At one point, he was in the top 20. I actually ended up putting him at number 12. Where do you have him? We agree. I I actually have him at number 12 as well. I I thought the most striking thing about Jake Browning's uh, career, he had, I think, 43 touchdowns that season and 51 in the other three years at Washington. So, I mean, it's just the statistical outlier in his in his Washington career, but it was a really good uh, season and also a, a big reason why Washington went to the playoff that year was Jake Browning and, of course, a good Washington defense. So the, the thing that I said I'm most curious about, and I, I mentioned this when I tweeted out this article, it hurt. I left Deshaun Watson both of his seasons, so he took them twice in 2015 and 2016. When I started this list, I just assumed that at least one, maybe both those seasons would be in the top five. Both of them are outside of the top five. So I have Deshaun Watson 2015 at seven, Deshaun Watson 2016 at six, and again, kind of with Jake Bryan, at some point when I was doing this, he was in the top five, but then he just kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed, and maybe it is recency bias here. Maybe he he should be in the top five, and I would absolutely listen to an argument, but I had a really time, a really hard time actually putting him in the top five. Did he land in the top five for you at least one of those seasons? He didn't, and I struggled with the same rankings that you did here because I felt anything three through seven was fair game. I think you could rank Deshaun Watson at three. I think you could put Tua 
at number three. Had Tua stayed healthy in 2018, um, who knows? He, he might have won the, the Heisman Trophy over Kyler Murray. But I, I have Deshaun Watson like you do at six and seven. I, I think at the 2016 season, I have ahead of the 2015 season. But th- these... I think it was so fascinating to do this and just see how good those seasons were. And it almost feels wrong to put him at six and seven, but you also look a high number of interceptions those years and you compare those to what Baker, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray and Tua did. There's really not a wrong answer on any of these. These are all just fantastic seasons by some um, big-time quarterbacks in college football history. Really quickly, before we move on to the last thing I want to talk about, let's see if we can find something that we disagree on. And even though we agree that like 3 through 7 or even like 3 through 8, 5 through 10 is kind of um, the same deal and there's, there's a lot of debate there, let's see if we can find something to disagree on. So my top five, I did have Joe Burrow one. I think that he is the best starting quarterback in playoff history. I have Marcus Mariota two. Kyler Murray three, Baker Mayfield four, and then Tua five. Did you have the exact same top five, or is there anything that we can disagree with here? I had Tua at number four, and I, I almost put him at number three over Kyler Murray. Um, you know, as I mentioned, had he stayed healthy, I think there was a there's a compelling case that he could have won the Heisman Trophy. I also just think you just watch Tua and just see the difference that he's made in Alabama's offense over the last couple of years. So I, it, it was close. Um, no wrong answer, but I had two at number four. Then you have Baker at five. I did. But yeah, Baker Mayfield from the 2017 season at five. Okay, cool. Hey, um, last thing I, I'm, I'm curious looking ahead one year, uh, what are we, what are we talking about one year from like, for example, right now, I think that the, the biggest conversation is, LSU got over the hump. How good is LSU? How good was Joe Burrow? That the the remarkable transition of Ed Ogeron going from this likable coach that we all think would be a great assistant to being now widely considered one of the best coaches in college football, making the great hire in Joe Brady, helping develop uh, Joe Burrow. I think that's kind of dominating college football, at least as much as one topic can. So I'm curious, what do you think that that we're talking about one year from today that is that dominating topic? I think it's kind of a big picture topic. I think it's coaching carousel. I think next year's coaching carousel is going to be very active. Um, it starts with USC. It, it does, does Clay Helton hang on to his job another year um, with Keaton Slovis coming back? USC certainly has potential to finish in the top 25. But that's a big time job. Not to mention, you know, jobs like NC State, South Carolina, Arizona, Miami, Vanderbilt. There are some good jobs that could come open. And if one of those big jobs like USC comes open, does Lincoln Riley consider the NFL with one of those jobs open? We could have a big time domino effect um, in the coaching carousel next year. Yeah, with Urban Meyer's name out there, I mean, we'll see what Chris Peterson does. If Chris Peterson takes a year in the booth, and I mean, he he made it very clear he didn't say I'm coming back to coaching, but as as you saw and everybody else heard, he made it very clear that it seems like he probably will coach in the future. Um, does Brian Harson finally leave? I had uh, B.J. Reigns from the Idaho Press Tribune on the show, I don't know, maybe a month ago or so, and he said he's he's not in the camp that believes that Brian Harson is this Boise State lifer, even with all those ties there. He thinks he could leave for the right job. So I think this year, one of the headliners with that carousel was Mike Norvell finally leaving for a pretty good job and is next year. Uh, Brian Harson. one thing that I want to get your take on, I think that one year from now, we are going to be talking about Mike Norvell. I think that you, you touched on Scott Satterfield with Louisville. Most people love that hire. I thought it was a fantastic hire. I thought it was a better hire than Jeff Brown, but I still wasn't expecting Louisville to do what they did this year. I went back and looked at my preseason rankings, and I think I had Louisville outside of the top 100. Obviously, Louisville is better than the top 100. Uh, they're not outside the top 100 now. So I think what we're going to be talking about a year from now is Mike Norvell kind of in that same context where everybody's aboard that hire. I mean, did you, I assume that you love that hire as much as most people did. I do. I think it's I think it's one of the best hires of the offseason, if not number one. Um, one concern that I do have for Mike Norvell right off the bat is Florida State's offensive line has been just really struggling the last couple of years. And I don't know how much of an immediate fix that he can get in year one. I certainly think Florida State will be in a bowl game. And I think that 
just by watching them, they will look like a better team. So I'm with you, and and I will admit I had Louisville seventh in the ACC Atlantic too. So I will take all the the bad uh, you know medicine that I get from that one. All right, that's Stephen Lassen, Athlon Sports. Uh, you can read all of his stuff on AthlonSports.com. Hey, Stephen, I hope you have a uh, happy holidays, and I always appreciate the time. Hey, Andrew, anytime. Have a great holiday season, too, and uh, look forward to catching up soon. The incomparable Chase Kitty on the show after a weekend in Harrisonburg. And, Chase, before we get to your wrong, before we get to some bull odd stuff for you, I want to ask you this. When I was kind of checking in on those FCS semifinals on Saturday, I'm always curious this question because I know that it gets, I don't know if it gets a lot of debate, but it does come up every single year when we have the the FCS teams beat the FBS teams, beat the Power 5 teams. It's going to come up in September. I think that NDSU plays at uh, Oregon Week 1, or maybe it's Week 2. I think it's Week 1. But anyways, I want to ask you specifically regarding that game that you were at in Harrisonburg, where would James Madison sit in the FBS picture if they were in the FBS right now? So let's say right now, this season, they're in the FBS. What type of What type of team are they this year? Like, are they a a bowl eligible team in like the American are they a fringe top 25 team or not even close to that that's a great question it's a question that probably doesn't get talked enough because it's just interesting to compare JMU and North Dakota State uh, what those two programs do at the subdivision in which they do it compare them up to to comparable FBS programs Uh, if JMU was in the ACC this year the American this year they're probably a bowl eligible team this is probably like a middle of the pack ACC team that's playing with 22 fewer scholarships in a different subdivision. And that's always the tough part to quantify. The if the the JMU North Dakota State in FBS conversation cuz it's not just what are they doing right now with the resources they have. It's look at what they're doing now and understand that they have like 70% of the scholarships that FBS teams have. So add another 20 scholarship players, then what are they doing? That's the part that's really tough to figure out and, and sort of quantify. But yeah, th- this is this is probably a top six team in the ACC or the American this year. I mean, they're they're really really good. Well, that's kind of why I asked you that because yeah, I think that it would be a totally different conversation if um like when I was talking to I, I just mentioned this to Stephen Lassen. I was talking to B.J. Reigns of the Idaho Press Tribune like a month ago when after Troy Calhoun's comments about possibly leaving the Mountain West. Who might they look at as a replacement? I was curious if he thought that NDSU could at all be in that picture. Uh, he said he hadn't really thought about it. So there's no information there we're talking about. But, yeah, we could talk about, let's say, North Dakota State does go to the Mountain West in three years, and then three years later, with all those more resources, with the more scholarships, where would they be? But that's not even that's not happening now. That's not even close to happening. And, yes, there has been some discussion with JMU, and you can talk about that better than probably anybody. But the reason that I asked you this year, because that's, always, that's what we – that's how we look at this. That's how a, an FCS team plays. And JMU didn't play an FBS team this year, right? They played. They, they did. They year. played West Virginia. Ah, that's right. And that's if you right. if you go back and watch that game, it's kind of funny because JMU was was leading at halftime. Uh, it, it didn't feel like an accident. It didn't feel like oh wow, like West Virginia is you know slow start. Like a lot of the times when FCS teams beat FBS teams, like twenty things have to go right. JMU just outplayed West Virginia. They, I think in the whole game, they held them to like 25 rushing yards. Uh, it, it actually felt like an upset that West Virginia came back and win that game because JMU throws a pick on its own 15-yard line. That was The offensive line totally you know, left their quarterback in a bad spot there. You know, They turned the ball over three times. West Virginia didn't turn the ball over at all. It felt like JMU got upset when they lost that game. So, and I'm a West Virginia fan, so you know, I, I think I'm coming at this from a pretty unbiased place here. It, it's just like, it, it's just a weird feeling to go back and watch that game because it feels like the wrong team won, which is weird to say when the FBS team beats the FCS team. Yeah, I don't know how I forgot about that game. I think we actually talked about it odds or, or during that. But but anyway, so yeah, the reason I ask in that context is because those are the teams that are going to be playing. Like I said, next year Oregon is going to be playing North Dakota State. It's not like North Dakota State in three years is in the Mountain West and they have the 85 scholarships. They probably upgrade their facilities a little bit. But that's why I ask you with this, so where where is North Dakota State then? Are they in the top 25? I know that they've gotten votes, I think, this year in the AP poll. Are they, are they a top 25 team? Like, are they... Are they like a Virginia Tech? Are they an eight-win ACC team? 
I don't think they're quite as good as Virginia Tech, but I think they're they're the one step below that. With North Dakota State, which which I think listeners should understand, North Dakota State has a 36 game win streak right now. Like it's it's real ridiculous. Uh, they they I think could become very quickly sort of comparable to a Boise State. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not everybody makes that jump from FCS to FBS very gracefully, but I think with sort of the culture that North Dakota State has in place. Like they could jump very, very cleanly to being a God. Wouldn't a that be fun? G5 wouldn't that be program? fun if next yeah. year North Dakota State was in the Mountain West? Yeah, and I, and I got to tell you, a lot of FCS fans wish they would too, because they've won seven of the eight or eight of the last nine or whatever national championships, and it's such a level of dominance that it's actually sort of sucked all the oxygen out of the room for a lot of fans that want to be more invested, but right. they know like, what's the point state is killing everybody every year. You know, it's, it feels most years like the only team that can compete with them right now is JMU. Yeah. Like what, like what else do you have to do? And I know that it's a bigger discussion than football. Football is going to drive whatever percentage, the majority of everything, but still like then you're, if you're in the mountain West, then you're sending your volleyball team to San Jose or you're sending, sending your soccer team or whatever it is to, to Albuquerque. So it's a, it's a bigger discussion than that, right. but it's, it's an economic discussion. It's, you know, you have to have an invite from a conference. There's so many factors that go into it. Uh, so God, NDSU in the mountain West. Yeah. I, I think it would I be mean, great. It'd be a blast. It'd yeah. be an absolute blast. All right. You want to play your wrong? Let's do it. Number one, we haven't done this in a while. Number we one. haven't. Yeah, we we were talking off air about how it's it hasn't been that long, you know, since we've done a podcast, but it feels like it's been forever because we did two a week for four months. Number one, this is something that Steve and I just talked about. This is something I published on HeroSports.com. Joe Burrow is the best starting quarterback in the history of the playoff, and I know this is a hard one for you because you didn't actually like we did. We didn't you didn't actually rank all twenty four. There again, there are repeats, but you didn't actually rank all twenty four, so it might be hard for you to visualize. So really quickly, that would mean that. He was ahead of last year's Kyler Murray. He's ahead of uh, 2017 Baker Mayfield. He's ahead of last year's Tua. He's ahead of um, 2014 Marcus Mariota. He's ahead of both years of Deshaun Watson. I'm I, saying Deshaun Watson's is. the one that jumped out at me. Yeah, I, I I think I'd still take Deshaun Watson over him. And that's where, I mean, you're not going to do this because it takes a little bit of time here, but and that's why I would encourage if people have time over the holidays, actually rank them because, and Chase, you didn't you haven't listened to the, the part with Steven yet, but we both have Deshaun Watson both seasons out of the top five, and it was one of those things where you go into it saying, oh, Deshaun Watson, he'll be in the top three. Right. I mean, he might be like two, maybe he's behind like Mariota, but then you start actually looking at it, and Deshaun Watson actually was, I think he would, both of us had him at six for the twenty. 15 season or excuse me 2016 was the six and then 2015 was seven so I think that Joe Burrow is the top quarterback it seems like you would consider Watson but you're not going to tell me I'm wrong on that no number two Tom Herman sucks (laughs) Tom Herman gets so much free advertising in this podcast but I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing for him hey nope what is no publicity is bad or bad publicity what is what's the saying? If, You're in PR. Yeah, I, I suppose I sort of am. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, no publicity is bad publicity, or bad publicity is good publicity. There's just a lot of different versions of it. So but, tell me that Tom Herman doesn't suck. You can't. I, does he suck? I I don't want to do the thing where we feel a certain way and then it devolves all the way to that guy sucks. I don't think he sucks. He's not. A I think bad coach. I think his his. No, I'm not even talking about his coach. I think he's the right guy for Texas. I've, I've said that before. I think that he could potentially turn them around. I don't think they'll make the playoff ever under Herman. But anyways, when I say Tom Herman sucks, I'm saying Tom Herman sucks be, as the guy because he's the guy that bitches and moans about all this stuff. He mocks Drew Locke, then after he does that, and then he has to apologize, and then he's all pissy about the horns down thing, and then we get to signing day, and he's flipping the double bird to the camera. Like, What am I missing here? Yeah, no, you're not missing anything. I, I was the the sanctimony over like it's a the horn sign is a respected tradition, but yeah, it was just so ridiculous. And and the fact that the Big Twelve Conference would protect them the, like they have over the last year on that particular matter right. isn't just dumb on on a basic philosophical level. It's also not very smart for the Big Twelve, who over the last decade plus has struggled with a perception problem over the conference being run by Texas. And then you do something that obviously makes you look like you're protecting Texas unnecessarily. It it just, that whole thing, you know, was annoying to me. Uh, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong because Tom Herman does kind of suck. 
it, it kind of falls under the, and this is what I thought of when Matt Liner tweeted. It was when Oregon landed the, the top-ranked recruit from California, from Southern California, and Matt Liner tweeted, yeah, back in my day, you know, you, nobody ever came in and messed with USC recruiting. Then I went back and looked, and when he was actually being recruited by USC, like, all the Southern California players weren't going to USC. Yeah, so like I, kind top, of felt I saw like that a, tweet that you had where, the, like, the top 10 recruits from Southern Cal all went to 10 different schools. It's like, did you even look this up? It's just one of those things, like, back in my day, we used yeah. to walk uphill both ways. It, it just feels like some of that. Like, back in my day, the, the horns up is a sign of respect. It, it felt like some of that, and now he flips a double bird to the camera, has to apologize, and now we'll just wait for him again to do something stupid. Anyways, number two, Tom Herman sucks. Number three, the kick six was the sports play of the decade. Not just college football, it was the sports play of the decade. So I saw you tweet about this too. So I I, I didn't know this was going to be in your wrong. Uh, but I have spent a little time already thinking about this just as it happens. I couldn't come up with anything better. I, I mean, it it checks every box. And, the and novelty I think is what sets it apart for me. Somebody somebody in your mentions actually said it's not just the play of the decade. It's it's the number one play for them in, in college sports football history and that's fine with me i think it's the, i think it's the play of college football history i'm not ready to go there but i definitely want to give you the decade and it's it starts with what you just said which is it's the novelty of it it's unique right it's not something you see every day it was not just an important defining play in that game and in that rivalry which is a great rivalry but it also had a tremendous impact on that season the whole national landscape of that season was impacted by that one play. So I don't know how you check all of those boxes in any other play. Maybe there's something I'm not thinking of this decade, but off, you know, over the last 24 or 48 hours as I've thought about it, yeah, that, that's, that's up there. I mean, it's fantastic. Well, yeah, when I was tweeting about that and then thinking about I do think it's the, the best play, the most incredible play in college football history, and I think the, the novelty of that type of play, because of how they scored that touchdown with all the things that happened and they're returning a, a short field goal, I couldn't think of another, like in another sport, how would, what compares to that? Like in college basketball, maybe if you like steal an inbounds pass with a half second left and launch it 90 feet, like that's basically what happened, and that's never happened. Like we had the Christian Leitner play, but that wasn't the same type of deal. I can't think of another play in college football history. Yeah, we've had uh, missed field goals return for touchdowns, but not – I mean, how often does that even happen? The only thing I can think of off the top of my head that I, I think could rival it in terms of like last second impact – and like weird stuff going on and just like unrepeatableness. You could go to the play between Stanford and Cal with the band on the field and like that you you could go to that. I think that sort of could be in the conversation. There's your novelty part yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. I mean it's up there. I think it's a sports play of the decade. Uh last one for you. I only have four here. And this is going off of something that Lovey Smith said over the weekend. Number four, Illinois is the seventh best program in the Big Ten West. And for those scoring at home, that means that Illinois is the worst program in the Big Ten West. And that means that Illinois has definitely not caught anybody else in the Big Ten West. They have not caught Wisconsin. First of all, did you see Lovey Smith's comments or do you need me to fill you in? Because I would love to. I didn't see the comments. No, I do like that this is officially like the greatest hits episode of You're Wrong for the 2019 season. We've hit Tom Herman... (laughs) And Illinois and Lovey Smith. We spent a lot of time on Illinois and Lovey Smith this season. If, I don't know why. I, I would challenge any listener from High Motor Podcast if there is a podcast that talks more about Illinois football than us, other than like the Illinois football podcast, if that even exists, I want to know about it. Can I fill you in on the quote? Please. So, obviously, Illinois playing the Red Box Bowl against Cal. We get that. They're going for a seven-win season. They beat Wisconsin. They won at Michigan State, even though Michigan State sucks. They still won at East Lansing. So, Lovey Smith was talking to the Chicago Sun-Times this week, and this was his quote. We finished off one decade with the program trending in the right direction. How do we see the next decade? There's a different day here with Illinois football. I am fine with all of that. I wrote about this on Herosports.com. I get it. They won six games for the first time in five years. They've increased their win total each of the last three years. They beat Wisconsin, just opened up a new facility. I love optimism. Absolutely. This is where he completely loses me. The the writer of it, I'm not I can't remember who wrote the article, then to that comment he asked, 
Uh, He didn't write what exactly his question was, but he asked something like, are you still chasing Wisconsin? Are you still chasing Iowa? Are you still chasing Minnesota in the Big Ten West? Lovey Smith said, we have caught them. Lovey Smith said they have caught Wisconsin, that they've caught Iowa. They've caught Minnesota. Whoa. That is beyond delusional, right? I feel like this is not getting... I mean, it was written about. Some sites picked it up and people have seen it. But I feel like, and maybe it's just this holiday season, people aren't going to blow things out of proportion here. But this should be blown out of proportion because this is... This is so beyond delusional that I don't even know what to do with it. I mean, do you think he actually believes that? I don't know. I mean, is this one of those things where... Fake I mean, it till you make it. It happens, it happens in sports. I mean, I remember talking to a Kansas football player the, the first year of, of David Beatty's tenure when they had like 30 scholarship players, and he said they were going to a bowl game. I mean, they're, they're, I was listening to it, and I'm thinking, there's no way you're going to a bowl game. Like, that's just not going to happen, but he might have actually believed it. There's, there's some element of this where to be an athlete on this scale, to be a coach on this scale, you have to almost convince yourself of things that can't possibly true so that you don't spend time thinking about how you're not going to do it. And he did that by saying this is a different day here with Illinois football. I think like that was the part of it. Like they, but I don't think that's great. I'm with him there. I I think that that's believing where they are. You're not even convincing yourself of something magical there. I, I think Illinois is trending in the right direction. And, but what what I think I would like to see, and you probably feel the same way, is isn't there something between I think we've got this trending in the right direction and <laughs> we caught Wisconsin. better we, we were a better program than Wisconsin. <laughs> like, <laughs> we've caught them, he said. The rest of it is not as entertaining and said, now it's about us competing. We're not running from what our record was the last decade. Illinois has been down a long period of time, but as far as catching teams in our own division that have been traditionally very good. We feel like we're there now. We plan on beating everybody and eventually being the champion of the league. I have no problem with that last part. I mean, there, why else should you play football if you don't want to beat everybody? Plan on winning, sure. Anyways, I still think Illinois is the seventh best program in the Big Ten West, which means <laughs> they're the dead last program. Do you agree with that? Um, who who would you, I guess, is it Purdue for you? I, it might be Purdue, yeah. What I was going to ask you is, I, I wanted to link this to your other favorite Big Ten West team. Uh, would you rather be Illinois or Nebraska in 2020? I mean, it's a, that's an interesting question on two levels. Nebraska has a higher ceiling. They have more resources. They have more talent. They have a better coach. All of that stuff. But in terms of expectations, it's kind of like what I've talked about. Kansas went 3-9 and nine this season, but it was a great 3-9. and nine. Yeah. And then meanwhile, like Iowa State went 7-5, and five, but they lost a lot of really close games. After the season, Kansas fans were probably more excited and optimistic than Iowa State fans were, so they were in a better place. So do you mean like mentally where my where my expectations lie? Would I rather be with Nebraska or Illinois? But just I mean, the- you could take over an athletic department tomorrow. Your options are Illinois or Nebraska, which... Like who? Who do you want to be a fan of? Who do you want to be involved with? I'm going to retire because I don't want to live in Lincoln or Champaign. I mean, Champaign is nice. It's not in the best part of the country. I was talking about alcohol. I would rather live somewhere else and consume large amounts of Champaign than live in Champaign. That's fair. That's fair. So you think Illinois is the sixth or seventh? You would listen to an argument that Purdue is a worse program. I, would, I don't think. I don't think. I, I don't is, even but. think I'd listen to it. I think I, I, I myself would make the case that Purdue is the worst program. Like they had, they had a nice twenty eighteen. Right. That's cool. I don't. I don't think that makes them not the worst program in the Big Ten West. Okay, so we're talking here on Sunday. So no bowl games today. Uh, pretty light schedule coming up. Only two bowl games until Thursday over the holidays. And then things fire up pretty quickly. I mean, Oklahoma State, A&M, Iowa, USC, Saturday are the big ones, the two playoff games. Also Memphis, Penn State. I can't wait for that one. Notre Dame, Iowa State. Chase, any attractive numbers coming up for you that you are planning to bet on? Yeah, you know, I feel a lot less strongly about a lot of these opening bowl games uh, through the first sort of week and change of the season uh, this year than I did last year. I had a lot of strong leans or on the early bowls last year. But I do think uh, this upcoming Friday, December 27th, just an abundance of opportunities. If you go down the list, uh, first game is the Military Bowl. This is North Carolina and Temple. North Carolina got hung as a six-point favorite. I have no idea why. Temple's a good team. I don't think North Carolina should be a six-point favorite. And I think 
I, I guess I should back up and say when you're looking at bowl games, one of the things that matters a lot is, is you know motivation, and that's a tough thing to try to quantify, especially from the outside. How are you, you know, Glenn, 36 years old, sitting on your couch in Idaho or wherever you live or wherever you bet? How are you supposed to know how invested the North Carolina football team is in playing in the military bowl brought to you by Northrop Grundman, right? Like, how, how are you supposed to know that? So there, there is a huge element of sort of alchemy here that we're all trying to figure out. And nobody really knows unless you've got really good contacts at a particular program. You kind of have to guess. And for me, when I look at this game, number one, I think Temple is just as good as North Carolina. They've been a great dog in 2019. And number two, I think Temple probably has more to play for in this game. I don't think North Carolina is really excited to play Temple. So I like Temple here. It's already gone from six to four and a half. But if you think about the numbers six and four and a half, you're not really losing a ton of value in the in the five range, in the no man's range. I don't think I would take it past four and a half. Like if it goes to four or three and a half, it's time to lay off this game because the line has moved too much. Uh, the pinstripe bowl. Why are we so adamant on playing a bowl game in Yankee Stadium in New York in December? I don't understand it, but the gods have blessed us with Michigan State, <laughs> an already unwatchable team playing in New York City in December. Uh, Michigan State finished the year 1-7 against the spread in their last eight games. Uh, so that's not good. I'm enjoying this segment very much. <laughs> uh, just, just me like shitting. I honestly, tore, and I have a pretty good grip on the bowl season. I forgot that Michigan State was going to a bowl game. Yeah, and we and well, we just and I just talked about them with Stephen. I literally just looked at Mark D'Antonio's record that they went six and six this year, but I completely forgot that Michigan State football is in the postseason. Yeah, they're playing in a bowl game. I don't understand why it exists. Uh, just like Michigan State doesn't understand that the forward pass exists. Because it's Yankee Stadium, bro. Yeah, I just don't... Like, nobody cares about football during Christmas season in New York. They barely care about football in New York year-round. So, you know, college football anyway. Well, Rutgers, bro. Yeah, get that footprint. Uh, <laughs> Wake Forest is their opponent. Wake Forest did not exactly end the season on a high note either. So I could make pretty compelling cases why you should take either side in this game. Michigan State probably just because they're better. Wake Forest because how can you bet on the other team when they finish the season 1-7 and seven against the spread? They beat Maryland by 3 in the season finale. Like, come on. Uh, but when you look at Wake, they're, you know, they've lost some key players. I think Wake is probably more excited to be in this game. I think Michigan State's probably checked out. I just don't want to side in this game. I do think the total of 50 is probably way too high for these two teams in Yankee Stadium in New York in December. Uh, so give me the under there. The Texas Bowl. This I get to keep saying another thing I've said all year long. Why does anyone think Texas A&M is good? I don't get it. So Texas A&M is playing Oklahoma State in this game. Oklahoma State, one of the best teams against the number all year. They were 8-3-1 against the spread this year. I played them often. I won money on them quite a bit. A&M, they actually finished the season with a respectable record against the spread, but they're still massively overvalued in all these games. They open as a four-point favorite in this game. It gets bet up to seven. I mean, take Oklahoma State. Don't think about it. Oklahoma State finished the regular season as a top 25 team. There are a lot of good tweets from the college football season, but I think my favorite one came right before the, the first playoff yeah. rankings. And it was one of those. I don't I hope One, two, three, thinking. four, five, six set, like one of those. And then 25 yeah. was Texas yeah, it's, A&M it's for like, some reason. It's like, it's only week 11. I don't know why we're even looking. Yeah, and it's one of those tweets where each, each word is on a different line. It's like, it's only week 11. I don't know why we're looking at college football playoff rankings. Maybe we should think about Texas A&M. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It's just like, because they're there. Yeah, just because because they because Fisher is good and we like him and hey did you did you know that Texas A and M is in the SEC Did you hear that They're an SEC team uh, I I don't know what it is about A and M and why they're been overvalued for like two straight years now but they're still overvalued and they have to lay a full touchdown now uh, against a really good team both team and against the spread record in Oklahoma State So take Oklahoma State Anywho 
Are you uh, betting on the playoff this year? Am I betting on the playoff this year? Uh, yes, I am. And heavily, or are you not that confident? I'm not going to say heavily, but I have, this might be the first time in the playoff era that I feel strongly about both of the semifinal games in terms of the betting numbers. Uh, when you look at LSU and Oklahoma, I, I mean, I clearly think LSU is the better team there, but a lot of books have that number all the way up to 14. And do you really think LSU's defense is going to stop Lincoln Riley's offense? I, I yeah, don't. But they're going to put up 70 on them, though. Yeah, but they might give up 60. <laughs> so, I mean, this is going to be a Big 12 game. It's totally going to be a Big 12 what game. What is the total on that game? You know, it's it's not high enough, whatever Is it, it is. 70? It's oh, It's got to be, right? How could it not be? I saw the Clemson-Ohio State totals like 63. So how can the LSU one not be higher? Let's find out together. Uh, LSU-Oklahoma, this is great podcasting, is, wait for it, 76 and a half. I'm seeing 75 and a half. But yeah, so it is, do you think it should be 80? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Would you take the over on that still? Uh, What's your line? In a playoff game, I wouldn't bet it. Is there any line out of principle that you just won't take the over on? I I don't, I can't take an over on a playoff game at 80. You just can't. And you're looking at, that's 11 touchdowns. Yeah. And and even though there are, I think this is definitely going to be a Big 12 game. I get that LSU is in the SEC. This is going to, just like LSU Texas was a Big 12 game, this is going to be a Big 12 game. And plenty of Big 12 games are 48 45 and go way over a total of 80. But you still can't do it because it's a playoff game. I, I have the same feeling about Clemson Ohio State. I'm going to slam the under in that game because it's a playoff game. And even though both offenses are really potent, it's a playoff game and you got to count on the defenses showing up. All right. Should we wrap it or do you have something else? Uh, I, I I should mention, since we're on the playoff games, really quickly, it's been mentioned before I am not some genius mate that's observing this for the first time. The fact that Clemson is a favorite over Ohio State should tell you all you need to know about how to bet that game. The three seed is favorite over the two seed. Bet accordingly. And remember, if you have any questions specifically, hit up Chase on Twitter, at Chase A. Kitty. He's a reasonable man. He will try to help you out on the playoff, on Michigan State, on whatever you want. But anyways, thanks for dropping by the High Motor Podcast. Always a pleasure to have all of you. Reminder to check us out on Twitter, at High Motor Pod. I'm at AWD88. And again, at Chase A. Kitty, if you have any betting questions, it's bowl season or college basketball, whatever you got. We're also on YouTube with some uh, episode clips and some other stuff. All right, we'll see you back later this week. This is the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's names But it didn't matter Cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one Before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie In spaces in between